Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 21st pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duff. You've got a fun show today. We're going to kind of put a ribbon on everything surrounding the 2020 National Scouting Combine. We're going to start things off with Mr. Relevant, where Daniel Jeremiah, the voice of the 2020 Scouting Combine, is going to join the show. It's going to be a very DJ-focused episode here of the Journey of the Draft podcast. We're going to catch up with him. We actually talked with him before drill started last week in Indianapolis and talked about just how you know you don't you you use the combine to separate guys from the pack. If you had a bunch of guys clustered together, how do they separate themselves over the course of the week? We talk about that with DJ at the very top. After that, Chris McPherson, Ben Fennel, and I go through draft buzz. We've got our through the grapevine. We've got film room recap. We've got big boards, mock drafts. We're gonna break through it all in draft buzz. After that, through pick six, the three of us are gonna go through six players who helped set floors and set ceilings in Indianapolis. Kind of a fun discussion there in pick six. And then we wrap it up with some questions in our draft mailbag. Before we get started, just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, go check out that survey on PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash journey survey. It takes three to four minutes. It's all about content for this show. Just a ways to improve this podcast moving forward into 2020 and beyond. You can check that out again, PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash journey survey. You can go onto my Twitter page at FDuffy3. CMAX is at CMAC Eagles. You've got at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. All of our Twitter pages have that survey. And then as well, uh, right on your phone, you can go right into the episode, however you're listening, scroll to the, I think it's scroll to the right, and you click on the link right there uh, in the description, and it will take you to that survey. Appreciate everybody that has already done that. All right, let's get to the top of the show. It's time now for me, CMAC, Daniel Jeremiah, Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited to welcome back to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, uh, NFL Network analyst Daniel Jeremiah. DJ, welcome back to the show, man. What's going on, friend? How you doing, man? Doing great, man. It's uh, Look, the, we're recording this before drills start the combine. We're rolling this out after drills end. And the, way I, the reason why is that we want to bring you on, kind of talk big picture about these guys, and talk real quickly about uh, your time in the NFL, talking with team, with scouts. You almost want to, you want the combine's important, but you don't yeah. want it to affect everything in terms of the overall direction of where these guys ultimately end up on the board. And that's why you, you got to have your meetings before. Yeah. And and it's, it's you know it's, it's scientific, I guess, right? Mm. Anchoring, right? You're going to anchor the board uh, where these guys are, and then you can drift a little bit, but mm. you're not going to drift from a six-round player to a first-round player, or vice versa. So sure. um, I think that's important that you base that off the tape. I always look at this as you know we, we talk about like cluster busters all the time. Sure. Like, this is a great way if I've got four. 461 tight ends so technically they all have the exact same grade well you see them move around the combine you interview them you get them on the board um, and you add everything together from this trip I think that helps you order those four guys you know you're not going to compare those 461s to the 67 group um, but it can sort out some clumps interesting so take us through now we're going to just kind of bounce around a couple different positions here Uh, wide receiver 
A lot of cluster busters in that group. How long, how long is this? How long is this? Here? Uh, I know you're, you're very high on this receiver class. Yeah. A lot of people are really high on this receiver class. I want to ask you about the Alabama duo yeah. with, with Jerry Judy, with Henry Ruggs. Uh, obviously, look, uh, Henry Ruggs is going to do very well this week in terms of how he yeah. tests. Um, but how do you feel his game best projects to the NFL? Do you view him as a vertical stretch guy, horizontal stretch guy, everything? How do you kind of view the way that he projects? Well, you know, I was talking with the NFL wide receiver coach during the fall and brought up a great point about how every offense, you know, you want to have that speed component at the receiver. Not, obviously, you can stretch the field in every way imaginable. Mm -hmm. But he said it's it's unique and special when you get somebody that has that speed, but also has a little bit of toughness and physicality mm -hmm. to him, because not only you know he can help you in the run game some there, yep. um, and you don't sacrifice any of that. They also look at those guys that can work in traffic. You know, a lot of the speed guys. Like if you think of, I think of speed. You think like Bashad Perriman coming out, right? You yeah. get all the speed, but his hands are inconsistent. Ted Ginn, tremendous speed. The hands, especially early on in his career, very inconsistent. Rugs dropped one ball last year. Right. So while he needs some route polish, I can guarantee you one thing, he ain't going to see any press coverage next year unless there's a whole lot of help over the top. Right. So you're going to have those easy completions. To, you're you're going to have seven, eight yards anytime you want it just because of the threat of his speed. And he catches the ball, and then he's physical after the catch. So, you know, Tyreek Hill has been the easy comp. And Tyreek Hill came into the league. He was what Debo Samuel was last year. He was the, you know, fly sweep guy, line him up in the backfield, do different things. And he's grown and evolved into being an elite receiver. I see the same future for this kid. Hmm. Rugs, when it comes to Rugs, DJ, I know you said that would be a home run pick for yeah. the Eagles, but with that speed element, I don't see any way that he's going to last to 21 when all is said and done. You and me both. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's look, it's there's been times I would say. You know, I've been surprised certain players make it. You know, like Derwin James making it to the Chargers at 17. Nobody predicted that. Yeah. So crazier things have happened, but man, it's uh, go go to your local Wawa and buy a lottery ticket. Do they sell those there? <laughs> you got to go get a lottery ticket if that happens. Sure. I want to ask you about a couple of D tackles here because yeah. uh, I know you're really high on Ross Blacklock, the kid yeah. from TCU. Uh, I'm infatuated with this kid from Missouri, Jordan Elliott. Yeah. Excited to see how he looks this week. Uh, Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma. He's going to put on a show. Yeah, no questions. How do you kind of view those three guys? Because uh, it feels like that's the clump behind Derek Brown and Kinlaw. Yeah, I like Blacklock the most in that group. And, you, you know, it's, I'm not hiding my affection on that kid. He's right. just so quick and he can play on an edge. He's, he's just more dynamic, in my opinion, than, than the other guys. Now, Gallimore is going to test better and he's going to, you know, he's going to appear as if he's way more athletic and way more dynamic, but that doesn't translate when you watch the tape. I think you see it more with Blacklock. Uh, Elliot is, is intriguing to me. Um, I'm not quite as high on him as some others. I like him. He's on the ground a, a decent amount. Mm. He gets washed by angle blocks probably more than, than those other guys sure. and get uprooted and moved around. But I think there's more meat on the bone with him. I think he's got a chance to be really good. I just don't think he's there right now. When you're looking at those three guys, it seems like they have the potential to bring the pass rush element. Yeah. How much more important is that? Because you look at, you talk about Derek Brown, you talk about Kinlaw, and you wonder if they're going to have that element of the game. At the end of the day, when we get to draft weekend, it's almost like, are those three going to have a chance to get pushed up much higher because of the ability to affect the pocket? I, I think that Derek Brown and Kinlaw are both can be impactful rushers. They're going to be power rushers, you know. And I, I've compared Derek Brown to to Indomitian Sue when he was coming out. And you think about what Sue's done. Sue's never going to be, you know, he's not going to be a 12, 14 sack guy consistently. He's going to get you 
you know, during the, during the you know, heart of his career. He's going to get you seven or eight. He's going to dominate against the run. And then even when he's not getting home, what he's doing is he's closing the escape hatch for your edge rushers because there's so much interior push he's going to generate. And there's nowhere to step up. So if you've got some edge rush, there's no escape. So I think there's a lot of value, and I think Kinlaw fits in that as well. I think Kinlaw maybe has more upside than Derek um, in that regard. It's just his, his, his size and length and power. Um, he's unique. The, the, the challenge with, with him, he played great against the best teams they played against. Right. You know, the Alabama's and the Georgia's. The Georgia like, game oh, hit. my gosh. And then you watch him against some of the lesser competition. He didn't play as well. So that was a little bit of a concern. I think with Derek Brown, you saw the same guy each and every tape he popped on. Uh, I'm going to bounce over to the cornerback spot because it feels like you've got obviously, Akuda at the top, top yeah. tier. Then there's that cluster, right, where you've got C.J. Henderson, you've got Trevon Diggs, you've yeah. got uh, some people really like Christian Fulton. I love Jeff Gladney as yeah, well. I'm get Gladney how do you, how do you view that, that group and how you stack those guys at this point? I think there's a lot of flavors, you know, mm-hmm. kind of what are you looking for, yeah. what do you play. Um, I think scheme, you know, specific is going to, you know, the, the Pete Carroll tree is going gonna, is gonna to love Diggs. Yep. Some of the other teams aren't going to like him as much. Um, Gladney, some of the, you know, size-wise, he's not going to fit the specs that some of those teams in that mm-hmm. Pete Carroll tree like. Um, so to me, it's kind of what flavor you want. Henderson, to me, is clearly the second most talented corner in the draft. But gosh, he just misses so many tackles, and that was my concern with him. But movement skills, you know, being able to locate the ball down the field, those things, he's He's really, really talented. So I still expect him to be the second in line. Yeah. And then after that, to me, it comes down to flavors, what you want. Arnett at Ohio State is really right. talented. Yep. He's a little bit tight, um, but he's tough and twitched up and can play the ball. So mm. uh, he's another one. As you go through the evaluation process, I love how honest you are about saying that if you have friends in, in your scouting circles tell you, you need to rewatch this guy, that no. you're like, all right, well, you know, Maybe I gotta go back and see what I'm missing. How difficult is that to separate that from having your convictions and being able to pound the table for a guy that you're very, very high on? It's fun because it, it works both ways. You know, I'll, I'll talk to buddies around the league, and then you know, what do you got in this guy? And they'll tell me, I go, dude, you guys are way too low on this guy. And so they might go back and watch more, and then they might tell me you're too high on this guy or too low on this guy. So it's just a way of, of getting you to go back and do more work. And sometimes you come back and say, gosh, you know what? You know, like like uh, Josh Jones is an example, the tackle from Houston. I watched early tape on him. I didn't love him. Uh, I didn't think he was real explosive or dynamic. And then, you know, I talked to some teams, really like him, some are eh. So I need to do more work on him. So I go back and watch more. Like, at the end of the day, the guy, he blocks his guy. It's not, yep. not necessarily the most impressive thing at all times, but he plays with good bend and he gets the job done. So... That's, yuck. You don't want to be stubborn and be an idiot and get the guy wrong. No, you, just, you, you accept it. I did a little more work. I like him. Um, you move him up. And then there's other times where, you know, I wish I could tell you the names of some of the players, but we be honest. But, like, sure. some of them, you know, team will say, you're off on this guy. And I'll go, all right, I'll go back and watch tomorrow. I'll go, I'll take my I'll, – I'll stick with where I yeah. am. Good luck. <laughs> sure. Good luck with that one. Uh, but, but uh, you know, it kind of works both ways. When do you get out on a guy? When you're watching tape of someone, how long is it before you say – all right, this guy can't this play. This is where right. I struggle, man. Oh, some of them, some of them, I'll hit the eject button early. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get better at that. Yeah, it's because there's only enough, there's only so much time. Yeah, you know? and especially right. for me getting ready for this event to try and get 330 guys done yeah. and doing the stuff that I do in the fall, I I don't really start getting into this stuff until you know late October, like Halloween's when I start cranking. Mm. That's a heck of a lot of players to get through. So I kind of look at it as like a, um, almost like a, and I don't. I swear I don't watch the show, but it's almost like The Bachelor, where it's like you're, you're missing talking out. to the wrong guy. Yeah, yeah. you're missing out. I don't out, watch. So. My, my brother-in-law was on that show. 
Was he really? He was on that show, one of the early seasons. All right. Well, we'll have a uh, he didn't win. <laughs> later discussion. <laughs> Spoiler here, so. alert: He didn't win. But um, but so Good I'll go him. through like, and I'll watch like two games, and if I don't view you as somebody that's better than a fifth round type of a player for you know I know what the grade is, but it equates to like a fifth round guy, putting you to pasture, hmm. and then. You know, I'll get, you know, that's it. And then if you earn the third, you have to earn your third tape is what I'm getting at. Gotcha. And if you earn your third tape, now I'm going to do more work on these guys. Because truthfully, with the role that I'm in, in the first, second day, we're going to talk about every pick. When we get into day three, you know, we might go 10 picks where we're talking to a head coach in an interview and come back and talk. I can pick which two or three guys I want to talk about. Yeah. So um, major in the majors is kind of the way I look at it. The last topic I want to hit you on is the, the running back spot. And, you know, we know that there's guys like Swift and Edwards Hilaire, you know, guys yeah. that we know they can impact the passing game as receivers. And you guys have guys like Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss and like, you know, Benjamin, where we want to see like how versatile can they be as pass catchers in all areas of the field. Does that move the needle a little bit more for those guys here in Indy? We were going to see them work out in a couple of days uh, at that position in that uh, particular facet of the game. Yeah, I think I think that's big. But I also think they'll get a chance at their pro days and yeah. private workouts to show what they can do there. You know, Eno Benjamin, ironically, talking to the guys last year at Arizona State's pro day, he came out there and caught balls from uh, from Manny Wilkins, I believe, was in last mm, yep. year's class. They said he was phenomenal, you know, catching balls, but they just didn't use him as much in that in that way at Arizona State. So he's one that I think can do it, even though he wasn't necessarily asked to do it as much. But it does help when you're when you're Edwards Alaire and you can I can see him do it, you know. Man, that makes you yeah, a lot more conviction. And talking to some of the some offensive coordinators and and some of the sharper minds over at teams this yeah. week. When I bring up his name, man, these guys just light up. They light up. Check every box. Man. Yeah, he's just fun, man. He's yeah. a fun player. That's why I, the topic brings me back to Miles last year. Like yeah. at this at this point, like no one knew well what would Miles Sanders be, and yeah. we saw what he can do in the passing game. No doubt. I, by the way, I'm uh, staking my flag in the ground right now. Five oh five two. For J.J. Taylor, right? He's okay, just yeah. over 5'5". Right. Yep. I think that Trenton Holiday is the only other player that size we've had since 2003. I mean, this right. is small. I love that little dude. And watching Boston Scott, what he did last year, he's to me, some team's going to get him late on day three. And I'm just telling this, this kid's fun, man. He's fun to watch. I love it. Uh, well, DJ, I really appreciate the time. You're a busy man this week. Uh, thanks for joining us once again on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. See you guys. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Well, really fun discussion there with, uh, with Daniel Jeremiah. And C-Mac, I'll welcome you in first. Uh, cool to just kind of look at the reason why we wanted to talk to DJ before drill started and hold it until afterwards because, as he said, you almost want to anchor these guys going into Indianapolis and then don't let them drift too far off that anchor. You, you want to stay true to what you saw on film, then helps you know, separate some guys from the pack over the course of that week in Indy. You don't want to fall into recency bias. Yeah. And that is a big thing that's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Like DJ said, it's important to utilize the combine as a tiebreaker system where you kind of, uh, what's the term? You kind of get them in the, the right zip code. Now you got to get them to the right street, yep. uh, so to speak. So that, that's really the big thing. I, I think DJ does a phenomenal job. I like that he consults, you know, his brethren in the scouting community. Um, he's willing to listen and be open-minded to different opinions. And that's something that we talked about a lot last week was how do you remain open-minded? Because you may say, I've watched so much tape of this guy. I'm in love with him. Does that carry over to what I'm actually seeing? Or am I able to separate the two and be critical? Maybe, maybe the guy didn't have a good workout, but I still absolutely love the tape. 
Yeah, you get him before the combine because he has no voice left after being on the air for 26 <laughs> hours. I'm not sure where his energy level is. So, uh, just kidding, DJ. I know you're going to be right on the pro day circuit coming up. But great job on the broadcast. Yep. And uh, always interesting to kind of have the pre-combine thoughts before all the narrative, all the hype, all the excitement for what you saw all during the weekend. That was why it was, almost, it was. It's almost kind of fun to talk to him before and roll it out after, just to kind of bring people back. Oh yeah, this is who I know. Everybody else is talking about who stood out. You know, who ran the forty best, who ran the three cone, the broad jump, all that stuff. But uh, just kind of good to. All right, let's let's bring this back to to earth and bring it back to reality a little bit. Uh, ben, welcome welcome back to the show. It's been a little about over a week now. Yeah, uh, how was Indy for you? It was good. Long week. I kind of like the primetime schedule. I'm not really a morning guy, more of a nighttime guy, so yep. I was okay with it. Uh, interesting to kind of meet with Jeff Foster and go through some of the new drills, meet with the coaches. Who is Jeff Foster? Explain Jeff Foster is kind of the head of the Combine Committee. Uh, he also has a role with the National Scouting. National Football Scouting. National yep. Football Scouting uh, as well, and he's kind of the one in charge and the main contact uh, for the NFL and the NFL Network and kind of bridging the TV side to what you're seeing on the field and working in concert with shooting the drills, the timing of it, the schedule of Combine Week. So uh, there's a lot of kind of joint venturing with his people and the NFL, and Combine Week is kind of when it all comes together. And we found out about a lot of new drills at the last minute yep. and uh, just had to get some clarification. And even the coaches had the opportunity to change some things the day of. Day of, yep. Uh, which they did on several of the drills and several of the uh, position groups. So... Um, all in all, good week. I thought it was fun, productive. It's nice. it's a great time. And I don't remember who said it. I think it was one of the the agents on Twitter. It's like summer camp. And you all get together. You see all your friends that you don't really see all year long. You have a great time. It's a fun week. It's a pretty low-stress week, you know, for people in the media and whatnot. And There were long days this year, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it's we long were, days, we, yeah. but it's low-stress. It's great. You see everybody right. in yes. town. Everybody gets together. It's the entire conversation, the entire narrative is draft, and I just love that. You can value the combine and what you see or get emotional about it. I just like that the entire week is dominated by draft talk, draft coverage. For lack of better words, I'm calling it draft, but yep. combine, senior bowl, prospect evaluation. Yep. And, um, There's still free agency, though. Fred's free agency in the does have a little bit of a pocket in there, obviously, Certainly in the does. background. It's a obviously a mecca of meeting grounds for GMs, owners, agents, if you have anything to talk about, this is where it gets done. So free agency, the CBA, the draft, it all gets done in Indy. And that's really where it starts uh, a lot of what you're going to see unravel in the next couple weeks. Well, but, I was glad that it's, this is a good segue really mm-hmm. quick is that, uh, you know, we did obviously the daily episodes last week. And I know not everybody had a chance to listen to every single episode that we posted they from did. our time in Indianapolis. I hope they did, but if they didn't, uh, I thought we had some really cool insight from a lot of the guests we had last week. So I pulled a couple quick bites, uh, one from Jim Nagy, obviously the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, Lou Riddick, longtime NFL executive, uh, formerly here in Philadelphia, now with ESPN, same with uh, Mike Tannenbaum, longtime NFL GM. I thought all three guys gave us a little, some really cool tidbits of knowledge and some insight into the background of what goes on in Indianapolis. So I pulled those bites. We're going to toss them right now. And we'll get our feedback after. Really, the most important parts of this whole thing are the medicals and the interviews and uh, the interview process. We, we did some access pieces in the past, like getting a look inside Carson Wentz's interview uh, here with the Eagles before he was drafted second overall. We just don't get a lot of insight into it. So I wanted to ask you as a former scout, um, you know, before we get into the interview portion, 
you know, the, the GMs, the head coaches, the decision makers, they go into that room, they know a lot of the answers to some of the questions they ask, right? And that's all because of the background that the area scout does. So I almost want to just, let's start back to the spring of the previous year. What does the area scout do to acquire all of that background information? It really depends on, uh, depends on the team mm. and where you kind of start your cycle and terms of the you know information collection it can start as early as as pro days which are coming up here in a couple weeks so there's certain teams that'll send scouts out to pro days and they'll be getting all the numbers obviously from the workouts and evaluating the workout but then they'll stay late and spend you know a few more hours in the building walking around the building trying to gather information for next year's class and and there's a lot of value to that um, it puts a lot more stress on the scout because Again, he's leaving town at seven o'clock and he's got a three hour drive and he's not getting to the next city till 10 o'clock and then he's got to type up all his stuff from that day's sure. report. So it puts a lot more stress on him. But the interesting thing is when you hit coaches and, and people around the building up about players um, when they're, you know, their junior spring of their junior year, they're not ready for it. Mm. You know, you can kind of see it on their face. Like they're so used to answering about that senior class that's just getting right. ready to finish up. When you hit them on a guy for next year, they're kind of like, Oh geez, I haven't had time to think about what that answer is supposed to be yet, and and so you you know you take all those notes and then you go back in the fall, and uh, it's sometimes things change. It's yeah. pretty funny. You're like you know you go back in in August, you're like that's not what they said last March. <laughs> um, the company lines changed on that guy. So no, there's a lot of value to it, and that's why coming to the combine is great because. You go into the schools and the scouts bust their butts all year to get that information. And then this is really the first time that you, you get in front of the players. And it, it's one thing to hear a kid's backstory about, you know, how he grew up and, you know, maybe some of the hardships he went through. But it's another to hear it from his mouth. Mm. Um, I think that's the most impactful thing. And that's why, you know, our game, the Senior Bowl, um, is a great opportunity because it's a, they, have, they have more time, for one. You yeah. get more time with them there than here. I mean, the, the schedule here is a little more regimented and there's not as much downtime. But, um, you know, the more time you can spend with these guys, the better. I think we've probably talked about it on, on your podcast is, you know, my experience. When you, when you miss on players, you're missing on the person. Right. I mean, the tape's the easier part is to watch the tape and watch, you know, evaluate the player. But really figuring out how these, who these players are is difficult. And, and there's really not a lot of time for it. I mean, you really have a to have a, a dedicated staff that is willing to go the extra mile because you know you get an all-star game exposure you get a limited time here at Indy and then you know maybe pro day um and maybe a 30 but that's not a lot when All you're right. talking about you know being with a guy for for four years or five years on that first contract and then hopefully you know a second or third contract it's it's not not a lot of time to get to know the person so yeah. what was your favorite part of the process while working in Indianapolis oh, for Without teams. a doubt, the, the formal interviews are the best part, mm -hmm. is to actually see these kids come in. And I say kids only because, well, I mean, I'm becoming a little bit of an old man now. And these guys are young. I mean, I have daughters their age. So to see them come in, you can see the anticipation, like as far as they're thinking, what are you going to ask me? You know, you can see when guys are trying to safeguard and kind of keep back some of the information. They know they need to be forthright. They know they can't you know, engage in deception, but at the same time, they're trying to put their best foot forward. And you, so you try and disarm them and really just get to get at authentically who they are. I always enjoyed that part. I, I really like that part. You know, the 40s are, are always cool just to see who's really fast out here and, and the drills are fun. But I mean, after a while, you kind of realize, look, I, I don't want to get too caught up in this because I want to remember what these guys looked like on the field. And the further we get away from what they did on the field, that's where mistakes start happening. So I, don't, I didn't get too caught up in this part. It's really the interpersonal part where I actually got to talk to them. That was cool for me. Is there a uh, 
an interview or interviews that stand out to you throughout your career that were like, man, like I knew the moment, like I didn't have a, a feel of this guy when he first walked in, but yeah. after the interview, I knew this guy had it. Yeah, I mean, there there were a few. I mean, look, Russell Wilson's interview was like, I mean, it's like this guy could be president. Mm. I mean, it was ridiculous. J.J. Watt, I remember in particular, had a very, very impressive interview. Robert Griffin III had a very, very impressive interview. You know, one of the ones that still to this day just bugs me because it, I remember it for the wrong reasons because I got the wrong impression and the guy wound up becoming one of the great players of all time in this league was Earl Thomas because mm. Earl was very quiet, very reserved, you know, about – what he was saying and and I just kind of thought man this is a free safety he's supposed to be a leader he's you know he's at the command and control center he's a signal caller did you think I wanted him, I, I, yeah I, I wanted him to be more like that but he was very quiet and, I, and it kind of like led me down the wrong path as far as what he would become and, that, and again that's another one of the things that you learn here is sometimes you know, in that 15 minutes, you don't have enough time to really disarm somebody and get to see who they really are. Because, right. I mean, they're, they're just trying to get through it sometimes because it's it's nerve-wracking to have eight, nine people sitting there staring at you, knowing that, you know, a lot of times, <laughs> you know, I mean, as a player, I used to inherently think that scouts and GMs were looking for things negative about you. So you're going to try and safeguard yourself. You don't really want to let yourself, you know, shine too much or rather, like, kind of let your true self out. And I think with Earl, he was just kind of being very reserved that day. And I let it affect me when I was kind of evaluating him mm. because he was fantastic as a player. And I think th those are the things that you learn about this whole thing and you get better at as far as what, when you're just talking to somebody. And um, that's why those 15 – that's why even after this is over, it's imperative that you keep going with that process of getting to know who these guys are and really try and get them in, a, in an environment where you really get to see who they are because that's really what the interviews are about. Tell me authentically who you are, not who your agent coached you to be or whatever preparation firm you went to, you know, prepared you for this, not what they told you. Just tell me who you really are. And it's hard to do that in that short amount of time. One thing that's consistent is that this is where the sausage is made. A lot of deals are, are made kind of behind the scenes and the talks start that kind of get things going for March and April. Uh, I wanted to ask you about going back now to the time machine a little bit. 2016, you're with Miami. Eagles make a big trade later in the spring, uh, moving from 13 up a little bit into the draft uh, in their quest to get Carson Wentz. Did those, when did those talks begin? How, take us behind the scenes a little bit as to when that process begins. Yeah, it really starts right about now. I think that's a great point, Fran. And it's uh, to me, it's always about being a good listener. Going back to 16, we were in year one of our program with Coach Gase. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's funny, I was just talking about this. I think there's a great lesson from the Cleveland Cavaliers and what just happened with John Beeline. John Beeline was a great coach at Miami, excuse me, Michigan. And... Obviously, it didn't work out there. I think in year one, getting your head coach established is so critical mm. in the NBA, the NFL. And for us in Miami, we felt like we had a good team, and we were able to acquire a couple of stars in Myron Maxwell and Kiko Alonso. And because of a really weird thing, we were actually still able to get the player we wanted, Laramie Tunsil. Sure. So yeah. it was one of those trades. I think it worked out well for both sides. We went to the playoffs in year one, and you know, for Philly, obviously, that was halfway towards moving on for Carson Wentz. So um, I think here it's about being a great listener. Yeah. You go back and you start trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And I think there was a number of trades we made during the season that started here in Indy. So how do those talks happen? I think Howie described it a couple of years ago and said that you guys had your combine suites right next to one another. And you guys were kind of in the hall talking. 
when do those talks become serious? How do you know that the other other side's serious? How yeah. does it all come to fruition? Yeah, you know, Chris, that's a great question. I think just over time you, you develop rapport with people and obviously have a lot of respect for Howie Roseman and the whole organization. And again, I think it's just about being a good listener. Hey, what are you trying to accomplish this year? Are you guys trying to move up, move back? You know, where do you think you may have surplus? What are your needs? Um, and I think by the end of the combine, you know, within reason, that's probably a conversation you and your staff are having with 28 to 30 teams. And then you just try to make the best decisions for your organization. So that one was one that, you know, obviously having a good relationship with how we was beneficial. And it was one of those things where, you know, things lined up for both sides. I feel like a lot of fans would be shocked at how often those talks happen and they don't materialize into anything, but the talks happen. Is it more prevalent than I guess people would would imagine so? Yeah, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but 25 <laughs> to one for every, you know, all those conversations, but that's your job. Yeah. Like you have to flush out all these sort of like possibilities mm. and then execute on the ones that actually you think can help. But it's so hard, guys. You know, I talk about this when you sign players, like over the course of my career, the bullseye to get a deal done got smaller and smaller. <clears throat> You have a salary cap, which obviously the whole world knows about, but every team has a budget. You're running a business like anybody else, and you have a owner you report to, and you have a certain amount of dollars you can spend, and then you have a myriad of the rules, and it's hard. Um, you have agents, and you know they have their goals and their objectives, so between your salary cap budget, your cash budget, the agent, you try to get that bullseye. Likewise with a trade, you know, are you a acquiring a contract? Are you dumping a contract? How does that fit within the overall scheme? It's hard to get done. All right, so just some really cool insight there. And again, those are just small bites. So if you want to go back and check all of them out, it's not just with those three. We had Charles Davis on Sunday's episode. Uh, we had uh, Greg Cosell on last week. We had Howie Roseman on at the beginning of the week. So uh, really cool insight from everybody that we had out in Indianapolis. But uh, just some quick takeaways, guys. What are some of the takeaways you took from all three of those guests? Oh, you, you want to go? You can go first, man. Yeah, I thought uh, I really like Jim Nagy. Uh, obviously, doing a great job with the Senior Bowl, and I like that he's a strong presence here at Combine Week as well. And he'll be a part of, I think, the ESPN draft coverage. Yep. Um, but I just like his little moniker of saying, "When you miss on players, you typically miss on the person. The tape is the easy part." And I think that's the kind of transitional mindset right now. Of you kind of know what the player is already. You watched every snap for you know just kind of making an exaggerated statement. You've watched everything he's done on tape. Yep. Now you need to figure out who's the person, who's the man, who's the potential employee. You're going to now make a part of your organization. Who's the teammate? You really need to figure out who's the person you're getting and the work ethic, and you have to put that all together. It's really easy to figure out the tape and the on-field part. Yep. And typically when these players miss in early rounds and a, uh, a high-profile position – it's the person, not the player kind of thing. And I thought that uh, really uh, meshed in well with Lou Riddick and the story he told about Earl Thomas was, you know, typically we hear about, the, oh, this guy fooled me, and I thought, he was, I thought he was this great guy, and he turned out not to be a great guy, and uh, we got fooled by drafting him. This was the other way where he kind of thought, you know, I, I felt one way about Earl Thomas watching him on film, but I was a little taken aback by what we mm -hmm. saw in the interview, and he turned out to be a great player. So I think it's cool to kind of get both sides of the coin there. Uh, the character, extremely, extremely important, but it's very tough to peg that down, especially in a short time span, not just in the uh, – you know, in the uh, at the combine or at the Senior Bowl, but you know, even at the the top thirty visits, which start you know as early as this week for some teams, I think when you look at the top thirties, yeah, you spend a little bit more time, but usually uh, for a lot of teams, I know, you know, they might top pop in half hour with the general manager, half hour with the head coach, ten minutes with the position coach. They're going to go with the scouting assistant. They're going to meet with the weight staff and the strength staff and the nutrition staff. 
they, you still don't spend a ton of time. Now it's just a matter of collect. How did everybody in the building feel about all the touch points they had with that player? The one thing I liked about Jim Nagy's interview, you have to go to the full interview to listen to it, but he talked about meeting with Jaron Reed, the defensive yeah. lineman out of Alabama. And they already, the, the teams already know your background. Yep. They already know the answers to the test. No and they want to see if you're going to be forthcoming. And Jaron Reed was overly forthcoming to the point where he was providing background on stuff hmm. that the team didn't even know about. So it's at that point the team's like, Oh, all right. This guy's really like letting loose and telling us everything we need to know. So that's, that's like the uh, the lawyer mind- mindset. You don't ask a question you don't know the answer to. Correct. Everything Very is kind of so. loaded, and you just kind of want to see the response, the delivery, what type of answer you get. But you already know the answer. Hmm. It's kind of just the delivery and how you get it. Yeah. Um, now forthcoming, they're gonna. And see. I always say, I've said on Twitter a couple, you know, for a number of years now, there are a lot of reasons for success and failure in the NFL. And a lot of times, it's not your on-field ability. Right. And we always take for granted that we just think they're celebrities, they're athletes, they're gladiators. They're 20 to 25-year-old young adults going through life. And whether you play football or you don't play football, some succeed, some fail, some have some trials, some tribulations, and just dealing with basic life events, whether it's sicknesses and healths and deaths and loves and loss and things like that. You have no idea what kids are going through. And you have to always remember they're young adults learning life, becoming, you know, responsible members of society. And that's a very turbulent time for people. And a lot of times we get kind of lost in just thinking they're athletes. Yep. And we have expectations of them to be perfect all the time. And Combine Week starts to fill in all those gaps on who is the person we're getting. Yeah, I thought that's a really good point. I also love, too, from Mike Tannenbaum, uh, just kind of learning a little bit about how the sausage is made with all these trades. And, uh, you know, I love the the 25 to 1 of, like, you know, uh, yeah, we might talk about 25, have 25 different conversations about player A or player B or player C. Maybe one of them comes and turns into a trade or a free agent signing. And uh, look, free agency on the horizon, as you guys mentioned earlier, um, all those talks – those start, talks started last week, right? Maybe even before that, maybe even down uh, at the Senior Bowl. But all of those things, all those conversations, the ball gets rolling uh, really last week, weeks before those contracts are signed uh, and a player joins the team. And what I love is you kind of hear some leaks every now and then of a, maybe a star player on the trade block. Right. And the fans get all up in arms, like, what's going on? Like Kind of like Jamal Adams last year. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. We heard trade that was talks. Why I brought that up to Mike. Yeah. For a high-profile player, a really good player. Yep. There are a number of teams and GMs where their philosophical thinking is, if we didn't win, everybody's expendable. Everybody's on the block. Everything can be changed. Everybody's got a price. No question. Yeah. And it's a really interesting way to think of it. And a lot of those conversations don't get out. And I promise you, if you ever really heard the nuts and bolts and that sausage getting made behind the scenes, you'd be shocked at the names thrown out there, the ideas thrown out there. You don't know unless you ask. No question. And the Combine Week really starts a lot of those conversations. And the whole 25 to 1, there's some 24 interesting conversations (laughs) that you don't always hear about. And uh, every now and then I get wind of one, and it it kind of blows me away. But that's what Combine Week's all about. And that's just the kind of starting of free agency and starting of GM, agent talk, player talk. You know, what do we need? What do you want? What's your price? Who's available? Who's not available? Sure. And a lot of that goes on, you know, 
in a dark room at the Combine in Indianapolis. I just wonder how many fans are going to want to, especially Eagles fans, are going to want to hear from Mike Tannenbaum right. at the moment yeah. with all the hot takes about yeah. Carson Wentz oh, no question. over right. the last couple of days. Well, let's, uh, let's get into what we actually saw last week in Indianapolis, guys. And uh, Real quickly, we're going to go three big winners, elevator speeches on the guys that each of you pick. Uh, ben, I want to start with you. Who are your three big winners uh, that you want to hit on from this past week? Well, I had a bunch of guys written down here, and I wanted to kind of bounce around based on who you and C-Mac went with. Sure. Um, first one's easy. You know, Mackay Becton. It's a great one. Uh, obviously, the way he moved with his 40-yard dash, I was skeptical of his movement patterns. Big Duke, his offensive line coach working out down there, O-line masterminds, told me he moves much better than anybody would ever think. And he showed it in that 40-yard dash right off the gate in yep. his strides. I think he took like 19 strides to get 40 yards. That's it's, I haven't heard that one, but he was yeah. like I think Jim Nagy counted it or saw it and it, like <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, it's yeah. it's freakish. Well, that's what it's like when you when you see a wide receiver in the open field. Sometimes you'll you'll hear the term uh, two stepper and that they yep. eat up five yards in two steps. That I've, I got to do my math, but I think that might be to, uh, a two stepper at offensive tackle. When I first watched him, I was skeptical. They didn't get him out on the perimeter a whole lot. Yep. I'm a little bit more. I want the Lane Johnson, David Bakhtiari. I want the schematic versatility with an athletic tackle right being able to get on the perimeter pin pull screen game and i didn't really see that at louisville but suddenly moving around the combine and watching his wave drill and his start stop his forward back out in space suddenly yes he can move at 360 and i was a little skeptical at first and i think this is what the combine week is all about to maybe check a box that you didn't see on the tape, and, yeah. now, and now you can go back and, uh, and recheck. Now, Becton uh, certainly was w- pretty impressive. I know you had uh, Tristan Wirfs as well on your list. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously not you know breaking any headlines there. He was uh, ridiculous. One of, the, one of the freakiest combine performances in the history of the combine. Yep. Um, but there's also a different conversation in evaluating the combine performance and his tape. And he maybe wasn't that athletic on tape, in my opinion. Mm. And... Uh, Obviously showed it at the combine and his, his testing and his broad jump, vertical jump, forty yard drills looked incredible. I was I even think the position drills he looked ridiculous. Like he I thought great. he looked so he looked good. Outstanding, and he's one I want to go back and see. Maybe was there more athleticism than uh than I didn't give him credit for? Yeah, right. and then also uh, Albert O. Albert Okwebunam, the uh, the junior tight end from Missouri, obviously uh, showed off with that forty. Yeah, kind of a down tight end class in my opinion. Um, and running, what do you want coming at four four nine? You're running four four nine. And he has good size. He has experience putting his hand in the turf there. Yep. A lot of kind of hip positions, that wing position at Missouri. Really good season in 2017. Came on last year in 2018 with Drew Locke. Kind of a down year this year, in my opinion. Sure. Um, but with that speed, the size, the ability to play in line, I mean, in this tight end group, I really wanted to see Thad Moss work out yeah. and see what type of test see scores he what kind of athlete he was. But, yep. uh, Albert O, definitely a, a good score when good size, ran well, you know, four four nine in this tight end class. Definitely a, a day two player, in my yeah. opinion. It's a shame we didn't get to see him go through uh, position drills. C-Mac, yeah. uh, who do you got for us? So I'm going to start with Antoine Winfield. Great one. Safety out of Minnesota. Came into it. You knew about the production. You knew about the bloodlines. There were questions about athleticism, but – he came in finishing off with an 81st percentile in the spark. Uh, positional workout, very fluid in motion. Showed off that he has the range. Uh, good job with overall with a positional workout yep. on top of the timing and testing drills. So Antoine Winfield, I think, checked off a lot of boxes there. His 40 time, what was it, 4-5 flat? Uh, was, or he might have even been in the 4-4s. Four um, maybe one of the most singular important 
test scores from the weekend, right? I mean, you would throw Justin Jefferson's 40 time in there. I'd say you put uh, Antoine Winfield's 40 time in there, or a few that were really, really important for a player's stock, and I think Winfield's was up there. So second guy, I'm yep. going to go running back. Okay. So I think we're kind of looking for someone to separate themselves. Yeah. I think most people think DeAndre Swift, Swift is going to be the player who's going to most likely go in the first round. But how about A.J. Dillon, yeah. the running back out of Boston College? You look at the mammoth size to begin with and what he can do coming out of the backfield – very productive at Boston College. You, in your cheat sheet, Combine Cheat Sheet, noted he was the first Boston College Eagle to have back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, and he had a third one for a good measure. But in the positional workout, just clean in transition. Uh, the blast redrill was very smooth for a big man. It was good in the Deuce Staley drill that one of the new drills added this year. Uh, great catching the ball in the backfield. Didn't have a single drop. Uh, the top vertical jump amongst all the running backs in Indianapolis. So from top to bottom, A.J. Dillon, I think when you look at the productivity he had in college and the workout he had, I think he definitely helped his cause. Yeah, I thought that he moved a lot better than – and even I was expecting. Well, we knew that the testing would look good, but I thought he looked good in position drills as well. I agree. Yeah, because you were worried, is he agile enough yep. you know, to be able to Does run? Does he remind you of level? anybody? You know, I wrote down, like, Brandon Jacobs. He's not quite as big as Brandon Jacobs. Right. Um, that's have a presence, though. Yeah, yeah. The, the comp that I think a lot of people are going to have now because of the speed is going to be Derrick Henry. Yeah. I mean, can he do a lot of the things that Derrick Henry has, has done? Yeah, I, you know, I went right to those as well. But, you know, Brandon Jacobs and Derrick Henry are, like, both 6'3". They're right, huge exactly. running backs. Houses, yeah. Not nearly that tall. I went back to try to find some freak kind of thick running backs. And TJ Duckett ran 4'4'5 mm. at 255. That High second-round pick, I believe. Yeah, that same kind of presence there that I think could be a nice change of pace kind of between the tackles. And I think every team kind of covets that bruiser back. Yeah. And we saw what, you know, LeGarrette Blount did for us in our Super yeah. Bowl run. And, man, you don't want to tackle guys like that in the fourth quarter. <laughs> right. We've seen Derrick Henry just wear teams down late in the ball games, And we saw what Jordan Howard did for us, you know, through the middle of the season, yep. just having his between the tackles presence. I think A.J. Dillon – while everybody wants that 190-pound scat back with a little versatility in the pass game, you want someone that's a, a problem between the tackles and that just wears down a defense. And I think he has a little bit of a different play presence than the rest of the running back group uh, that I think can kind of separate him and just provide a different type of value. Well, we talked about it with Howard in the season. was like a guy that can be a tone setter for your offense early and a guy that be a closer late. Yeah, that's uh, a great I point. I feel like yeah. Dylan can be that guy. And not a liability on third down. Exactly. Right. The ball. Sure. You don't want it to be predictable where like, all right, if Dylan's on the field, you know it's going to be a run right. play. Right. So yeah. you need that threat of the pass game. Third one, Mississippi State linebacker. Willie Gay. Yeah. Okay. You know, we'll start with the athletic testing. Second best overall spark score among the off-ball linebackers, only to Isaiah Simmons, who he himself had a, an amazing workout. But and he was one of those guys when he was doing the broad jump, one of those guys that everyone had to watch was drawing a crowd. You know, Tristan Wirfs with his workouts, one of those guys who made you stop to be like, we got to see, you know, Henry what Rocks he's going to do. Yeah, right. yeah, one of those things where everyone's pausing to look at. Uh, but then the positional drills. I was just going back through my notes on those, and I thought, what well, very quick footwork did a good job getting in and out of the bags. Showed explosion on the short zone breaks. Showed pop and hit in the pads. Uh, even made a one-handed interception for good measure. So I think Willie Gay is one of those players who's making a lot of evaluators go back to the tape after the week in Indianapolis. Yeah, I know, uh, Ben, you went back and did his film. We'll talk about that here uh, in the next segment. <clears throat> My three guys real quick. Um, Jeremy Chin, uh, a guy, a safety from Southern Illinois. I'm going to be honest. You know, I watched his film back late in the fall. I thought he was solid. I, I wasn't super impressed. I, in fact, from an athletic standpoint, I thought that was a little bit one of my concerns. We go down to Senior Bowl, and I see him in person. You see him move, and you see him you know, kind of shadow receivers and one-on-ones. And 
I was kind of, I was really impressed. And I was like, all right, this is a guy I need to go back and rewatch. And then you see him test this week, and it's like further, like, all right, another exclamation point, go back and rewatch Jeremy Chin. Uh, to me, one of the big winners in my mind coming out of Indianapolis. Uh, outstanding tester. And then we talked about it in, uh, on the, the Sunday, Monday podcast, CMAC. I thought he had one of the best position workouts of all the DBs, uh, especially at the safety spot. So uh, Jeremy Chin for me <clears throat> would be number one. Uh, number two, Jonathan Taylor uh, went in. He matched the expectation from a testing standpoint that uh, a lot of people in the business had. You know, we knew he was the high school track athlete, came out, ran extremely well. He looked great in the bag drills. I thought he did, had a really good positional workout, namely in the passing game. He caught everything that was thrown his way. I thought he gave people a lot of faith that uh, you know he could be a three-down back. So Jordan, uh, Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin, I, I thought, had one of the best combines. And then a guy that, guys, like the, the further along we get in the process, I'm just developing more and more of a man crush on Kenneth Murray. Like, just checks all the boxes there, um, you know, from an off-field standpoint. Uh, I know he didn't finish the workout <clears throat> because of a, um, I think it was a hamstring or whatever it was, but, um, you know, great kid, great football player, sideline to sideline, a sideline athlete, explosive, showed off that, uh, that explosiveness in the jumps and with the 40, uh, but you see that on film as well. Super physical, super productive. Uh, Kenneth Murray. Um, yeah, I don't know. How, look, at this point, he's getting a lot more first-round buzz, too, coming out of India, it feels like. I mean, we saw uh, – I've seen him go, like, top 20 in mock drafts. He's going earlier really? and earlier, it seems. So, mm-hmm. uh, Kenneth Murray, a guy that, to me, uh, I'm really, really excited about moving forward. So, um, last thing we're going to hit on here and through the grapevine, Bucky Brooks from NFL Network, NFL.com, uh, put out a little bit of a note. He believes that Penn State defensive end Yator Grossmatos could be a top 15 sleeper in April. Uh, overall thoughts on Yator Grossmatos and, and how high he Yitor. could go in this draft? Well, he's definitely been a riser over the past couple of weeks. Had a decent combine workout. He's got good size off the edge. He's not a run liability. He's got 34 TFLs and 17 sacks the past two years. Productive player, uh, even mixed in with some guys like Sharif Miller and some other you know pretty good NFL caliber players. Yep. Uh, some interesting stories behind the scenes, some family tragedies, had a lightning Terrible. strike and a drowning incident Terrible. Uh, in his family. Yeah. Actually played less snaps this year than he did last year. Yep. Uh, so a couple things to dig into. Just really quick pros that I have written down. Long, lean frame, works primarily from a four-point stance, has a really good high butt, gives him a good get-off initial surge. He's more of a power rusher, some good hand usage, can disengage really easily. He's got a push-pull move, a rip move. Plays 10% of his snaps inside at three tech, so he's got some positional versatility. I put up a clip yesterday of third downs from Indiana. Yep. He played from a wide nine technique, a snug alignment, which is when you're a little tighter to the tackle, three tech. He'll even play nose tackle play over the zero. packages. Yep. Sure. Um, some cons, because he's 6'5", his pads pop up at times. Play strength at the point of attack. His hands are a little slow, mistimes the punch at times. Um, but a productive player, I think he's still ascending. Uh, with his skill set and uh, putting it all together. He's got a huge wingspan, 82 inches. He's a good-looking kid that I think a defensive line coach is going to want to get his hands on and try to mold. Yeah, I, I, to me, I watched him, and it's like you're hoping his best football is absolutely ahead of him because yeah. uh, I think he's quicker than he is explosive. Uh, I agree with you that in an ideal world, he is a power leverage rusher. He's just not super powerful at this point of his physical development. So I'd like to see him get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. Um, he needs to get better with his hands, has to develop counter moves, um, has to just get fast. He's not a striker right now. He just kind of leans into offensive linemen. So uh, certainly some things you really like. There's, there's some high motor f- plays on film. You see that ability to shoot gaps, get into the backfield, 
and make plays. Just want to see some overall consistency in his game. And on DJ's big board, which he just put out a post-combine top yep. 50. We're going to hit on that shortly. Which I like seeing the ups and downs of certain, sure, certain players. Right. Your Terry Gross Matos, 38 overall. Yep. Previously unranked. Yeah, so jumped mm-hmm. up. One of the huge jumpers. Yeah. Occasionally see up one, down two, up five. That means he's up at least 12 spots. Right. If not more. Right. If he was 60, we could be talking up 20 spots. Yeah. Now he actually talked on the Move the Sticks podcast about he had to do a second run on Gross Matos yep. because people in the scouting community, this goes back to having the open mind. He did his first run through, wasn't wowed went through again and was like, okay, I see some of the things. That, that happens at times. Yeah. I have a couple guys right off the bat that some people checked me at the combine and said, hey, listen, I know you're a little down on this guy. Start fresh, watch him again. And there's a couple guys that are on my list that literally I'm going to start completely fresh. Yep. Sometimes you just have a bad morning or, you know, you catch a guy or you just caught a bad game with a kid. That's and what it usually would be. You end up yeah. building a reputation in your mind. And Sometimes it's tough to break out of that. And right off the bat, Antoine Winfield's a guy I'm going to start completely fresh with this afternoon. Yeah, He's a guy that tested better than I thought. I've been a little bit down on. I thought he was more of a optimistic turnover machine that kind of got his name into a higher acclimate than his down-to-down play suggested. But he blew me away with his workout. He's got the production. He's obviously talked about in circles all over you know, uh, draft communities and from scouts and the pedigree with his dad and... He's one of those guys. Let me just watch him again. Let sure. me start over. And, yeah. and you turn Gross Matos might have been one of those guys for DJ. For Gross Matos, a couple other things are going in his favor here. It's a really not a great edge rusher class. It really Correct. isn't when you're looking at That's it. That's the thing because Bucky Brooks' is speculation is he could be a top 15 pick. Mm-hmm. Teams want edge rushers. All right, well, Caleb and Chason from LSU didn't work out. Right. Yep. Okay. AJ Epinesa. It's a trust the tape situation. Yep. Okay, very productive, but That's the great point. you know the work, his positional workout was was actually good. I know he was one of your better positional workouts. I thought, yeah, among I thought the so. Edge rushers, yep. but the athletic and the timing and testing drills, not the best. Okay, so I think he's taking advantage of that, and he's still only 22 years old. So it goes back to that he still has a chance to be an ascending player, one of the younger players uh, in that group. I think he has those couple things going in his favor. You start looking at the edge class. Everybody's got a like a but yeah but kind right. of thing yep. to it, and it's like Terrell Lewis, great player, oh, but the injuries. Yeah, Epinesa, sure. yeah, I didn't test well enough that athletic. And Clavon Chase on, you know, what what can he provide? You know, he's still kind of an inexperienced player. And, um, you know, your Ter Gross Matos could take advantage of when you're starting to look at the pass rushing edge landscape, a guy that doesn't have to come off the field and maybe one of the more productive, safer players in the draft. What's his yeah but? That goes back to your point there with Terrell Lewis and Epinesa. I don't know what that yeah. I don't. But I don't is. think is his. It? I think his yeah, but is he doesn't do anything that like really wows you kind of thing and puts you over the edge. Mm-hmm. Just okay, that's good. That's okay. He's a B plus across the board, but he doesn't have those heavy hands like a Terrell Lewis where you put it in into an A category or no a question. violent pass rush yep. plan like Epinesa where that's his like highlighting trait. I don't know what his highlighting trait yeah, is right his now. His length, I think, is probably the best thing he's got going for him on film right now. But I think he's a guy that doesn't have to come off the field, and we've talked about what type of value that has right. in the NFL and just being a every-down player. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one to, yeah. to kind of My comp is out. Jason Jones, right. uh, Eastern Michigan, who is also 6'5", 270, used inside in college, good 9-, 10-year career in the NFL, 
I think he's only got like 40 or 50 sacks. Played but, for Jim Schwartz in both Tennessee and yeah, in Detroit. Yeah, he's, he's played for a number of teams and uh, a guy with a good career. He played 10, year, 10 years in the league. That's not a, uh, a negative. All right, so let's. Uh, you were talking about going back and watching some film. Uh, ben, who was the, uh, the first guy uh, that you watched when you got back from Indianapolis? So we'll do our film room recap here. Well, I've done tons of Mississippi State games over the past three years. Yep. And haven't done a lot of work on Willie Gay. Yep. And you put up a combine performance like that. He was front and center, first name to go watch. I had Leo Lewis watched. Errol Thompson, the other linebacker, watched. Right. Yep. Watched tons of Mississippi State guys over the past couple of years from Montez Sweat and Jeffrey Simmons and Jonathan Abram. All the DBs and Cameron Dantzler yep. and uh, Peters last year, even Will Redmond. Yep. And we go back and back. But Willie Gay, I really wasn't familiar with. And then I see the test scores, 4-4-6, 21 reps, 35 uh, 39.5 in the vertical, 136-inch broad. 703 uh, cone is pretty good as well at 6'1", 243. So what's that play profile? It's a little short, but thick and rocked up. And you watch him do that broad jump. He's, he's built like a running back. Yep. Got a big butt, big upper legs, big quads right there. But let's paint the full picture on this kid because he's got a really interesting kind of story. He played 177 snaps this year. That's it. That's it. 846 snaps total at Mississippi State. There's dozens of linebackers that played more than that this year alone. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. So a guy that's not been on the field a whole lot, and now you have to figure out why. So he's got some off-field things to work through. Academic issue where a bunch of players had an issue with a tutor that they got suspended. First game back, got ejected, got into a fight with a teammate also this year. So there's some things to work through. But on the field, thick build frame, thumps on contact. He's a finisher, great play strength, fights off blocks with his hands, in combination with play speed, great burst to close. He's got the sideline to sideline range that he almost beats the play side backer to plays, which is I, I love to see. I love watching that play, yep. the backside backer, when it's just a see ball, get ball. Who are you beating to the ball carrier? And he beats play side defenders to the ball carrier. And that's you see that in the four four six forty. He's a great blitzer because of that speed. He works through trash really well. Occasionally can take some bad angles of the ball carrier. Occasionally takes some wasted movement, some extra steps. Occasionally a little bit reckless with that speed and trying mm. to fly to the ball carrier. Occasionally can overrun things. Um, and then the inexperienced play time. But he's decent in coverage. He's got a couple of nice picks in zone. Can chase from behind. He watched the bowl game against Louisville. Ran down a player, forced a fumble as that player was about to walk into the end zone. 2018 against Alabama, Tua. Two sacks on him, interception. Blasted Josh Jacobs on a bunch of big runs. 2018 against Iowa. They wanted Leo Lewis and Errol Thompson to be the off-ball guys. Willie Gay says, all right, I'll go be the Sam. Hmm. Battled T.J. Hawkinson at the point of attack on a bunch of plays. Rocked him back on one snap that I have, I'll probably put out on Twitter later today. Anytime you do that, T.J. Hawkinson, who is a blocking, sure, no blocking aficionado at Iowa. I like that. That's a, that's a big play right there. And then Louisville this year, you saw a little bit more start-stop, a little more change of direction than that linear speed. Man, I've seen him in person 2018 Florida, Texas A&M, Louisville, 2017 against Alabama. I've watched a bunch of his tapes. He's a really impressive player. If the off-the-field stuff is okay and checks out, I am sh- I'd be shocked if he makes it out of day two. Hmm. And when you're starting to look at the linebacker's landscape, I like Kenneth Murray. I think he's kind of the round two version of Patrick Queen. Right. He might even be 
the round two version of Patrick Queen. Right. He might go before Patrick Queen. Interesting. Um, but I think it's that same type of profile, that body. While Kenneth Murray, Malik Harrison are more in the 6'3", 245, long arms, sure. rangey type of guy. These guys are a little bit more the rocked up body, explosive, finish you type of thumpers that can run sideline to sideline. But a uh, really fun player to watch. I was impressed with his tape when he was on the field. Interesting. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to watch Willie Gay Jr. So I said, all right, who's a guy that I haven't studied yet that I can kind of buzz through uh, that impressed me from a physical standpoint, maybe over the course of the last couple of months. And it was a guy that uh, C-Mac and I have seen twice. Um, C-Mac's a big fan of this guy, Dirk Tuska. Yes. Oh, nice. Wow, look at the celebration. Yes. I, I went back. So <laughs> nice. defensive end uh, from North Dakota State. Uh, Good-sized kid, athletic, you know, really fluid. He's got multiple gears, um, times the snap well. He can come off the ball. Really skilled pass rusher. You know, he, he's, sometimes he can get a little bit too deep in the pocket, can end up behind the quarterback, but uh, he showed the ability to string multiple moves together. He's got a couple of really good tools in his toolbox to beat offensive linemen, obviously at a lower level of competition, but uh, showed a really good sense of how to attack opponents, can win in multiple ways, uh, really aggressive at the point of attack, attacks blocks with good hat and hand placement, really high. Mo- I mean, we talk about guys that have high motors and can make plays, but there are also those guys that are just like, they have the great motor. He's one of those guys who is always going to the football, uh, cleaning up piles, chasing from the backside, does a really good job uh, in terms of padding his stats that way. But uh, this is a guy that was consistently productive at the quarterback, has a really impressive amount of really skilled sacks where he was able to beat offensive linemen with really good technique. <clears throat> He's just not the biggest, most strong, uh, uh, strongest, most powerful guy right now. So um, I almost want to go back and watch some of the Shrine stuff, C-Mac, and see – all right, did he put on a little bit of weight in that uh, pre, you know, pre-draft process leading up to St. Petersburg where you know, he showed that ability to be able to hold up a little bit better? If I felt like he could be a three-down guy, I would say, man, like, he's one of the best defensive ends of this class. Like, skilled, athletic, if he tested very well, back that up. There's a lot to like with, with Derek Tuska. Um, I just want to make sure, like, is he big enough, strong enough to hold up every single down? If he is, he's going to be a three-down player in the NFL. And I know something you really value is playing other sports growing up, playing other positions growing up. And he may be the most all-around athletic player in this draft, and I do not say that lightly. I mean, look at high school, linebacker, safety, running back, receiver, tight end, long snapper, punter, Punter, kicker. Five-year starter in basketball, five-year participant on track and field. That's not only sprints, relays, shot put. Defensive MVP twice in the conference, two-time All-State linebacker. Fun, fun player to watch on tape, but his athletic background, I think, will keep him in the league and keep him a job for, you know, if if he struggles to make a roster. These are the types of guys with athletic profiles that just hang around the back ends of depth charts, special teams, plug-and-play type of athleticism. This isn't some just try-hard, uh, productive, you know, small school guy. This is a guy with a, a real athletic athlete, profile. Yes. Yeah, I think that he's, he's got the ability to, to kind of be a mismatch player uh, in the trenches. Um, all right, let's go to uh, some more Daniel Jeremiah here. We talked to him before the combine. Let's get his thoughts here for after the combine. We're going to start with his big board. He released the big board, I believe, the day out. I think it was Monday afternoon. Um, so his updated top 50. Uh, C-Mac, I'll go to you first. Updated thoughts. Uh, what was your thought going through DJ's most recent big board? So the one that stood out to me is Xavier McKinney Ooh, of Alabama okay. being a number 14 Overall, and really, if you want to say, you know, you're kind of lumping Isaiah Simmons into the defensive backs, yep. linebacker, defensive back hybrid, 
He has McKinney as the third best defensive back prospect with Jeff Okuda, the tops among the three there. Uh, very much like Simmons in, in the fact that he's a versatile chess piece, you know, was used as a linebacker, obviously plays safety, uh, but also was ahead of two of the quarterbacks, Love and Herbert. You know, mm-hmm. that says something a lot right there. A safer player. You know, and that's, that's the thing is, you know, who's going to have the higher upside. But I think, you know, you had the great Eagle Eye podcast with Greg Cosell about these – we call them versatile. You call them positionless, positionless players in the NFL nowadays. It's like Xavier McKinney is one of those guys, and it's something that I think teams are looking for more and more, uh, whether it's going through free and see or the draft. A couple of those games, I mean, he had to play linebacker for Alabama. Like it wasn't like, oh, he's a, he played it in dime. Like he was in every dime. In that LSU game, he was playing linebacker for three quarters of that game. Um, I want so this guy on my team. I like Xavier McKinney a lot. He's Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah, he's a good player. That LSU really game player. and his run support. Sticking his face right into Clyde Edwards Hilaire and finishing yep. him. Man, his blitzing ability, his slot coverage, his matchup against tight ends. He's got the ball skills, can play in the box, can play in the back end. He is the 2020 NFL defensive back. Yeah, uh, I know. It's cra- and it's also crazy. Sorry to cut you off there. Yeah. The way his trajectory is kind of leapfrogged Grant Delpit, who's right. also a great mm-hmm. player. Sure. But once you get your hands on Isaiah, uh, Xavier McKinney's tape, man. What can't he do for your defense? Right. No, it's, he's a really, really impressive player. A lot of fun to watch. Uh, and you just feel safe projection to yes. the NFL. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, I know you want to stay at the safety spot for yours. Yeah, I always like seeing the guys that hop in after being previously unranked. Yep. Because those are the guys obviously getting buzzed, and there's a reason that they're moving up his board. Kyle Duger. Yep. Lenore Ryan, obviously yeah. a huge combine, which we expected. We saw that on tape in the summer. We saw the season. Big, fluid, fast, athletic, came in at 43 overall, previously unranked on his big board, so I'm not sure where he was, uh, but that's at least a seven-spot climb. Um, But we called it. We said him and Jeremy Chin were going to be some of the bigger, more fluid, explosive players on the field in the safety group, especially with Isaiah Simmons now being being with the linebackers. Um, and, he, and he showed up, and he's a Lenore Ryan kid, so I know the kind of draft Twitter community is a little bit late getting to his tape. Um, but he's a really impressive player, and he is an enormous safety. Huge. He is big. I think he's every bit of 6'3", was it 225? 221 or something like that, yeah. That can run, fluid, loose hips, ball skills. Um, I'd be shocked if him or Jeremy Chin makes it out of day two. Yeah, and I think I they are. I was calling them both the day three version of Isaiah Simmons. They're bump that up. They're getting day two love. They right could be now. second round. Yeah, no Got question. Us. Yeah, I think I think Duggar's gonna go second round and Chin. I'm telling you, man. Like I I, I mentioned a few minutes ago, like really really impressive, really really impressive player. Uh, I'm gonna go for mine. My biggest one was a guy I talked about a few minutes ago as well. Um, one of my man crushes, I think, at this point, Kenneth Murray, uh, coming in at number 29 overall. And I and I mentioned you look around at the post combine mock drafts. I feel like you're starting to see Kenneth Murray creep higher and higher and higher. I've seen him in the 20s multiple times. It seemed like a few weeks ago he was like a mid second, early second round pick for most mock drafts, and it's like oh, you know, like. Could he be there for the Eagles at, you know, what are they, 52 or whatever that second pick is? It, that seems like that's completely gone. And now it's like, all right, like uh, he's going late one, early, mid one in most mock drafts now. So oh, really, not, really he's, fun He's player. not going to make it past uh, Sooner North over there in Baltimore with all <laughs> those uh, Oklahoma players and Mark Andrews and Ben Powers. and You know where I'm pegging him right now? Raiders, the pick before we go. Mm, yeah, Josh Jacobs was like the one I had penciled in for the Raiders last year, and in that spot because they picked right ahead of the Eagles. I'm talking Kenneth Murray is like high character, position of need, like 
He looks apart too. Oh yeah, I mean, there's a the couple thing. teams that could use that type of presence in yep. the middle of the field. I, th- I think I bet you he's Ra- a Raider. Raiders certainly one of them. I know the Ravens want that. I think the Eagles could use something like that. The Packers could use something yep. like that. He might be a guy that somebody wants to go get. Yeah. Uh, DJ is in double duty this week because he put out his new big board and his most recent mock draft. Uh, so for our mock draft roundup, I figured let's go. We, are, we had DJ on the show to Jeez. start it off. Right. Let's go to his big board. Let's go to this mock draft as well. Uh, he's got the Eagles at 21 taking Justin Jefferson, uh, who we mentioned briefly earlier, one of the big winners from the combine uh, to me as well. You had great position workout, runs the 4-4-3, answers question about his long speed. This guy has everything to me that you're looking for at the receiver position in today's NFL, and I know you're a big fan of his as well, Ben. Yeah, we talked about him a lot this season. I've kind of compared him to uh, Keenan Allen, just that more upright slot with a lot of dynamic releases, gets in and out of breaks really well. At the end of the day, he gets himself open and catches the football. And I think that's what you want from somebody winning between the numbers. He can win vertically with some big box fades. We question his long speed. He obviously shown that. What's the issue with this kid? Yeah, I mean, he's young, productive, good size, speed, route running. It's just hands, a deep, ball skills, deep receiver like, class. That's what it is. That, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's it's. I mean, you're checking all the boxes there uh, with Justin Jefferson. I know, C Mac, you were impressed with what we saw Thursday Thursday night as well. You mentioned the fade route. I thought he ran the best fade route of all the receivers there right. at the combine. You talked about the speed already, tied for the nation's lead in receptions. But going back to the workout, I mean, did a great job tracking the ball. Uh, Overall, just one of the better positional workouts out there in Indianapolis. It's funny because we talk about you know the big three at wide receiver, you know Judy, you know Lamb and Henry Ruggs. It's like, you know, is Jefferson poss- could he possibly usurp one of those guys mm. and end up being one of the top three selected there? Just because you listed everything, he's production, athleticism, route running ability all across the board. And it's not that he's he has the production; he has diverse production. Yeah. In every level of receiver kind of acclimate and tree, whether it's quick game, tons of intermediate route running. They ran a lot of digs and a lot of things kind of in that deep middle area of the field where you have to know how to get open. You're going to catch the ball in traffic. You're probably going to take a hit. A lot of big plays after the catch in that area of the field, too, which just shows the different mentality, the aggressiveness, and then the deep posts, the verticals, the big box fades, the tracking ability, the catch point. I mean, I have some plays against Texas in the red zone where he carved up some corners and the ball went the other way. Right. Watch this kid on a down-to-down basis, and you'll realize he gets himself open. He's dynamic. He's shifty. He's quick. That's everything Keenan Allen was uh, at Cal, everything he is for the Chargers. Keenan Allen just had a bad day, and I think he had a bum ankle and ran 4-7. Everybody wondered what is up with with Keenan Allen and thought he was slow. But um, sometimes, you know, your shoe's untied to your 40, and – yeah, nobody right. knows what you are. Well, see, Mac, I, to your point about you know just stacking these guys, I just feel like that with the depth of this class, you could pull fifteen general managers, fifteen pro scout or uh, college scouting directors, and get fifteen different answers in terms of how these guys are going to go. Whether you when, whether it's Judy Rugg, C D Lamb, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager, Lavisca Chenault, uh, you go up and down that list. I mean, T. Higgins, you throw T. Higgins in there. Like, there's, there's so many guys uh, that are being talked about in that list. And then you get down to the next tier, and there's even more. So uh, you throw K.J. Hamler in there, who didn't run the other day. So uh, just a really, really impressive group. And, um, no, Jefferson is certainly uh, one of those names. Uh, real quick, the, the five guys that went before the Eagles uh, in that selection, uh, Atlanta taking Javon Kinlaw at 16, Dallas taking wide receiver C.D. Lamb at 17, Henry Ruggs going number 18 to Miami, the Las Vegas Raiders taking 
taking A.J. Terrell out of Clemson, the corner, and then Jacksonville taking linebacker Patrick Queen at 20. My big takeaway from those five guys, uh, no wide receivers going in, in the top 10 there for D.J., but three going in the next eight picks. Uh, Jerry Judy went to Las Vegas, I think at 14 or 13, wherever they're taking. So to me, that was one of the big takeaways. I think I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. I feel like a, a lot of those teams right before the Eagles – could certainly be looking at wide receiver. With all the receivers potentially being taken in the first, you know, top 50 picks, do you ever go back and try to reflect on the misses? Hmm. Reflect on the Treadwells and Josh Doxons and um, Justin Blackmans and, and just figure out why. What was it that didn't translate or was it an off the field? Was it a personal thing? Was it a scheme thing? Not all of them are going to be hits. No, that's, they're not. And I try to find that that miss and what Good was luck. it about, yeah, I know and what was it about those guys that we loved in college loved in tape made them a first round pick and then suddenly they weren't that if you figure that out make 32 calls I think you'll have a job next week I'm working on it. <laughs> um, and then with the the five after Philadelphia, uh, Buffalo at 22 taking Yitor Grossmatos. So Yitor Grossmatos going yep. in the first round. Uh, Justin Herbert going number 23 to the New England Patriots. Brandon Ayuk going to number 24 New Orleans. Christian Fulton, the cornerback from LSU, going 25 to Minnesota. And then Austin Jackson, the USC left tackle, going to the Miami Dolphins at 26. My big takeaway there, uh, Herbert falling. He did say that he doubts that he falls that far, but he said he could see New England targeting him if he started to slide. So my take on that is if Herbert slides a little bit, look out for New England maybe trading up to take a Justin Herbert. What's your thoughts on Ayuk? Who ran a, a nice four fives, yep. you know, time at the, at the 40, or uh, at the, in the 40 at the combine. Mm -hmm. I thought he had a solid workout. I think he joked saying he can't remember the last time he ran a four five. Right. So he's obviously put up some four fours and stuff in training and sure. workouts and whatnot. But uh, a player that has been mocked to the Eagles. I didn't even mention him in that, that last group of receivers. Right. I'm yeah. about. That's another name. Like, that's what I mean. Like, there's just so many receivers. And in Dane Brugler just recently put out a mock uh, yes. today, actually, that had IU going to the Eagles. Again, so, a yep. name that's kind of been tied to the Eagles yeah. as well. Explosive player. I like Ayuk a lot. Me too. Yeah. And he's a, he, <laughs> tough, just tough to sort through the pecking order of receivers, all different shapes, sizes. But it's all the stuff you may not be privy to that's going to determine it. That's yeah. exactly Who it. are you as a person? How good are you at the whiteboard and picking up different positions and things like that? And can you play the Z, the X, the F, and the backfield and gadget stuff? Can you contribute special teams? Are you eager to contribute in special teams, not just as a returner, but as a gunner, things like that? It's all the other stuff. I think the tape is the easy part, like Jim Nagy said, just to spin this full circle. Yeah, I, I think it was uh, you know really interesting just kind of seeing uh, some of these guys that we see the rising and falling. Uh, certainly, Justin Herbert falling to twenty three. That would be stunning. I yeah. feel like he's done everything right in this draft process. Right. Was outstanding at the Senior Bowl. Yeah. Okay, had a good combine workout. It, there must be something behind the scenes that possibly was be having Jordan Love skyrocketing the thirteen to the Colts. Yet Herbert, who was pretty much throughout the pre-draft process considered the number two or number three, I should say, after Burrow and Tua to be falling. All the quarterbacks are going top 15. This happens every year. Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, every year. We saw it last year with Dwayne Haskins. We see it with Blaine Gabberts and Drew Locks and Christian Ponders and EJ Manuels. It happens every year. This is the time where everyone's a little afraid to put them into 20s and 30s. and f They're all going top 15. If you need a quarterback, <laughs> go get a quarterback. Yep. And teams are going to be aggressive and go get these guys. And that means good players are going to fall to some teams that already have franchise quarterbacks like yep. the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get into the next time. Really good conversation there, guys, for, uh, for Draft Buzz. Let's get into the next segment here. It's time for Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. 
All right, guys. So for this one, I gave you a little. This is a little bit different. We've never done anything like this one here for Pick Six over Mixing the years we've been here. doing this podcast. So six players who set their floor or helped set their ceiling, and I'm hoping uh, each of us has one of each here. <clears throat> what I mean by that is, with the way that they tested, with the way that they worked out, helped set the uh, the idea of what their floor is in the NFL, or set you know reset their ceiling. I'm going to go with the floor first, and I thought uh, this is a guy we talked about actually uh, on the Sunday Monday version of the podcast. Mac Tanner Muse, the Clemson safety, who a lot of people feel is a linebacker. I think no matter what. You run a 4-4-3 at over 230 pounds. You are going to be seen as a core four special teams guy. He's a high-character guy, longtime starter for Clemson, had a lot on his plate in that defense with Brent Venables. If he plays strong safety, if he plays linebacker, wherever he is, he's going to be a core four special teams player. He is Now he has solidified himself early to mid-day three in this draft because teams are looking for that kind of profile in that spot. Yeah, a player that I've compared him to, two former safeties turned linebackers, Nate Gary. Yep. Nebraska safety turn sure. linebacker with the Eagles. Also, Thomas Davis, who is a good safety for Georgia, carved out a 15-year career yep. uh, will linebacker in the NFL. Uh, my floor right now is going to be Jalen Hurts. Okay. Ooh, okay. Really tough to figure out him as a prospect, as a quarterback prospect. 6'1", 222, but running a 4'5", 440. Yep. And I think his willingness to contribute wherever he can. You put on that uh, playoff game against Oklahoma last year where Tua was the starter. Yep. They gave him jet sweeps. They gave him some handoffs. Do not be surprised of a team to get a little creative this year, obviously with the Taysom Hill. Those comparison. Those types of uh, abilities, but you know, a 35-inch vertical, the 10-5 broad. He has a play in that Oklahoma game where he meets Kenneth Murray in the hole and finishes the run against Kenneth Murray. I was blown away by that particular play. I think I've watched it a hundred times. I put it on Twitter. He's a really good athlete. I don't want to say he's at the end of the day. He'll be a special teams body. I think right. he's more than that. Yeah. But I think if he goes to a team with a little creativity, a little Sean Payton, a McVay, a Shanahan, at the very least, he's going to be a great athlete for somebody. And I think you're showing that in a 4-5-4, and that's what we mean about the floor of being a prospect. At the very least, yep. he can be an athletic yes. presence for somebody. I thought he threw the ball. I was one of the more impressive uh, passing he's, workouts he as well. He spun that ball yeah, at the he combine spun it well. really Much well. Improved. Good accuracy, now, good velocity. Didn't have to worry about bodies around him, anticipation, sure, yep. you know, pocket poise, all that stuff in that environment, but I thought he threw it well. Yeah, so much better than Senior Bowl, and I think from a character standpoint, oh, you know, he's off the charts. Yeah, no question. You know, and take two big-time programs to the college football playoffs. Yeah. Yep. Okay, speaks volume. So yep. a great one with, with Jalen Hurts, because I feel like we didn't really talk about him really at all yeah. last week in Indianapolis. My floor, along the same lines, where if you're looking at a core special teams player, a fourth wide receiver and Chase Claypool. No question. That's one Notre Dame. Easy one. Great okay. one. Okay. Uh, phenomenal spark profile. 98th percentile. 6'4, 238 pounds. Running a 4'42 and a 40, 40 and a half inch vertical, 126 inch broad. And, you know, those numbers, those last three numbers are. 83rd percentile or better, according to Mock Draftable. It is uh, spiderweb season for yeah, those of, of you who are, who are into that. So um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal size, athletic profile, and with the production he had at Notre Dame, could play receiver, can play tight end. Uh, definitely at the very, very least should be a special teams guy. In the need NFL. to go in deeper with him. I had, down, game days. I had written down Riley Cooper and Devin Kajust who Kajus had to kind of transition to tight yep. end. Riley Cooper turned into the more just that big X receiver. He ran better than both guys. Yeah. Cooper is an enormous receiver. I remember yeah. him beasting uh, Janoris Jenkins for a touchdown here at the link a couple yep. years ago, and I think it's that type of profile. Everybody's looking for that big receiver and move tight end. 
or let's get to guys who set their ceiling. And I don't want to dive too deep into this guy because we just talked about him in the last segment. But mm-hmm. uh, Justin Jefferson, I mean, running the four four three, uh, kind of showing he's got that long speed to me, uh, kind of set that ceiling in terms of, hey, he's not just a big slot guy, which we all remember we had that question with A.J. Brown like a year ago, right, coming out of Ole Miss was, oh, is he just a slot guy? You know, you doesn't matter. He goes to Tennessee and has a, a really strong rookie season. I think you look at Justin Jefferson uh, running that four four three at that size with his ball skills, with his toughness, his route running skill, uh, really, really kind of set that ceiling high. And as we were joking, missing uh, out on Brandon Ayuk as you were raff- ruffling off like 10, 12 yeah, receiver right. names. We didn't mention Denzel Mims right? Yeah. from Baylor, on. who great catch point receiver. His back shoulders and adjustments and working the sideline are incredible. Tough prospect because he's got some boneheaded drops as well. Right. But he's such a beast at the catch point. He can win vertically, blocks really well. And what a day at 6'3", 207, run a 4'38", jumping 38.5, 131-inch broad jump, a 6'6", 6'6", 3-cone, which I think was the best of the week of anybody. Devilish. Um, I'll have to go back and recheck that. I'm pretty sure that was the best the entire week there. Um, those three cones got done really late at night for some of those players. But Yeah, it was tough. Anyways, uh, showing off that type of explosiveness in the metrics, the long speed in combination with his route running, the vertical ability, the tracking, the catch point, the blocking, great week at the Senior Bowl. I was just going to say that, yep. Productive player. Jim Nagy's obviously been pounding the table for this kid. Just a couple boneheaded drops, but he's got the production. He's got enough tough grabs that I'm not too worried about it. And you run uh, you know, a 4-3-8 at that size, I'm in. See back who you got. So I almost went for him as one of my big winners of the week, okay. C.J. Henderson, Great the cornerback yep. out of Florida. Okay, so we're talking about ceiling, an elite, elite cover corner in the league, a 4-3-9 in the 40, good numbers in the broad, 127 inches, 37 and a half in the vertical. And for my money, I thought it was the best positional workout of all the cornerbacks mm. in Indianapolis. So the big question yep. with him, okay, from analysts, is the run defense. Well, if we're talking about ceiling, he has the athleticism and the film to show that he can be a high-level cover cover corner in the NFL. We've made the, <clears throat> we've made the comparison to Dominic rogers Camardi in the past, Ben, and yep. uh, no one had a higher ceiling in terms of coming out of or was it Tennessee State. Tennessee uh, State. I mean, his ceiling coming out was ridiculous, and I look at Henderson the same way, uh, just in terms of a physical stature standpoint and a physical tool standpoint. And really quick elevator speech on Dominic rogers Camardi. Speed, 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 coverage, coverage, coverage. Right. Nobody's saying in the elevator speech, ah, but his run support's lacking. You're putting this guy in the field to cover receivers in the NFL at a 4-3 speed, and that's what C.J. Henderson's going to do. And if you do think he's tempted or timid or whatever, watch some of his cat blitzes because yep. he goes 100 miles an hour and has blasted some quarterbacks. So he will show some aggressiveness. And the competitiveness. You see the he, high motor plays. In he's run down well. yeah, uh, no several, several big plays where he's run down 50, 60 yards in – I think a Tennessee last year, he forced a fumble. As Henderson's, a, Henderson's a really good player. He's man. a fun player. He's yep. a really good player. Uh, all right, so good stuff there from you guys uh, for pick six. Let's wrap this show up now. It's time for our draft mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, so as a quick reminder, again, best way to help support the show. We love everybody that promotes it on social media and tweets it out, retweets and likes and stuff like that. But uh, best way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. We've had a, a really good steady stream of comments and questions over the last couple of days, so please keep it up. Uh, it's really helped us uh, just kind of fill this out uh, from a 
content standpoint here on the show, but also boost the show up in the rankings. So really appreciate everybody that has done just that. want to give a shout-out to a couple of people who left some good questions. RJ Field 11 left a five-star review saying, phenomenal content as always. Every year, I look at what linemen the Eagles could take in round one over the kind of playmaker that all the other fans want. This year, it looks like defensive tackle could be the fit. Do you see this as a real possibility? And if so, how do you guys like Javon Kinlaw, Neville Gallimore, Jordan Elliott, etc., and how they fit into what the Eagles look for? Thank you. So uh, to me, I think really quickly, looking at the Eagles scheme, it's a one-gap, 4-3 scheme, right, guys, shooting up the field, which isn't a lot different than what we see around. a lot of other teams run a very similar kind of style. Um, How do you feel just about Javon Kinlaw, Neville Gallimore, Jordan Elliott in one-gap, get-up-the-field kind of system? I love them. They're yeah. all they're all great. They're right. upfield penetrators, disruptors. They're guys that you want in single gap schemes, which is what Jim Schwartz runs here. Guys that you don't really play gaps, you play upfield landmarks and just disrupt with a first step, track stance. That's the profile of those three. Yeah, uh, Gallimore played mostly two gap early in his career. Yes. This yeah. past year, new defensive scheme shifted more into a gap kind of principle and I mean, he, that kid's an explosive. We saw, what was he, what are you going, 4-7-3 or mm-hmm. something right. like and that? And even Kinlaw, not always giving the authority to win on a half man and get up the field. A lot yep. of times he had a two-gap or just occupy a center and like a sub-package. I, I love Jordan Elliott, man. He's, I talked about him last week, I think. He's, he's really, really impressive. When he gets into his track stance, he flies across <laughs> the line. He's another guy with kind of two different stances. He could kind of frog stance and square stance you and hold up his gap. Yep. And then when you see that staggered, two, uh, staggered track stance, you know he's going to shoot across the line. And makes a lot of plays out to the numbers. I thought also Elliott had a very good positional workout yeah, in Indianapolis on top of it. Kinlaw yep. didn't work out. Yep. Gallimore obviously knew flu in the 40-yard dash. So And then got hurt, right, and he didn't do anything else after that. Any any three of those guys. Yeah. Uh, would be phenomenal. But as much as you know, I love those players, love the disruptors, love building in the trenches, I'm ready to start out scoring some teams. Right, yep. Oh, it's, a, it's a great uh, uh, great point, great discussion. And I love where the, where the mindset is, too. You, you look back. Eagles, obviously, they value the line, the line of scrimmage. They value yep. the trenches. And so um, that's a good way to kind of look at it from a fan don't standpoint. Don't be surprised. Yeah, Just right. don't be surprised on draft day. No question. Uh, Coach 48 left a five-star review. Said, it looks like the Eagles could be in a great place with any of the four receivers with the 21st pick. The two they might have a shot at have plenty of speed. Henry Ruggs and Justin Jefferson seem to fit the speed best, and either one could be around when it's their turn. Should they gamble by staying put or move up to take the one that they want? So, uh, look, look, basically – I think it's interesting to kind of talk about this topic. What are NFL NFL teams doing now across the rest of the league, right? They're going to try and gauge all of these players' value, and a lot of that goes – we talked a little bit about it with uh, with Jim Nagy, I believe, and I think with Mike Tannenbaum as well. Lou Riddick was the one who brought it up, mixing, mixing all these interviews together. Your pro scouts – so remember, your scouting department is split up into two sides. You've got your college side and your pro side. All of your pro scouts are assigned – four, six, eight teams, okay, and they're responsible for knowing that roster in and out. So their strengths, their weaknesses, what the teams could be looking to address, understanding their team-building philosophies, how could they look to improve their roster. So, you know, whoever is in charge of, uh, you know, the, being the pro scout for all the teams picking ahead of the Eagles, they're going to say, they're going to give up to, to Howie Roseman and give up to Andy Weidel and say, hey, I, I feel like this team could address wide receiver. I feel like this team could address offensive line. This team could address linebacker. Now that gives you a sense of, okay, you know what, they, we feel like they, these, these are the positions they could address. Now you're following visits and quotes in the media and stuff like that to give you a sense of, okay, they're showing a lot of attention to this wide receiver. 
We know they need wide receiver, and that's how the Eagles ended up trading ahead of Houston last year to get Andre Dillard. You have an understanding of what, the, of what that team's needs are and how they could look to attack the draft. And so when you're talking about trading up, that's the process to figure that out. It's not just we need player X, we got to trade up for him. It's having an understanding of value and you know, where these, these, all these players are going to be drafted. You're not going to be batting 1,000 with it, but just having an understanding of all, the value of all these players up and down the board. I always think that 15 to 25 spot, which we're 21 or right smack in it, yep. is a go-get-your-guy spot, and it's mm. a very reactive spot based on how the top 10 plays out and how the board kind of falls to you. I mean, if you're just looking at DJ's mock draft, Justin Herbert at 23 – if he's available at 21, somebody might want to go get him. Right. And then it's the whole cat and mouse of do you grab maybe two twos, two early day two players and get two receivers instead of maybe that receiver you can go hand pick. So, you know, coming up with the value and maybe stockpiling picks on day two. Interesting conversations. You know, obviously we traded up last year to go get Diller to find our guy in that same type of ballpark. Yeah, and I think, too, the other part of that that comes into the scenario is if you are a team that drafts best player available, okay, and you're looking at the board, let's say you're six slots away, and there are seven guys you hit, you're like, I would love to have this player. And you get, you know you're going to get one of those guys. If you stay put, you don't need to go and trade up. Um, but if you're a team that does draft for need and say, hey, we want to go get this guy, you go and do that. Um, it's not as clear-cut as that in terms of making that decision to trade up, but I think there's a lot that goes into it. And it's going to be fun to just kind of see how this plays out. Obviously, every team attacks it differently, but uh, really good question there. And I don't want to dodge the question in terms of, oh, would you trade up for Henry Ruggs? I'm telling you, we're going to get a Henry Ruggs question every single every It, single just, week, it every all episode. goes to the grades. Yes. I think your point at the end was perfect, where you find out, okay, there are five spots away, five players. If Henry Ruggs or whomever – is graded that much higher than everyone else, go get your guy. And that was the case with Dillard last year. Was He yes. was like an elite blue-chip player in their book and said, okay, we're gonna, he's the one guy that's left that has that kind of grade. We're within striking distance. Go get that guy. Um, so, no, it's a, uh, a really fun discussion there. Great question there from Coach48. Thank you, RJ Field, as well. All of you guys that have left questions and comments on our Apple podcast page, really appreciate it. I appreciate everybody that has also filled out the, uh, the survey. Again, PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash Journey Survey. All the people that have filled it out so far, really, really appreciate the help as we try and make this show better each and every week. That being said, another show in the books here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. For Chris and Ben and DJ, who was on the show for uh, 17 minutes today, appreciate it. We will talk to you guys all next week.